Chapter Thirty Seven, Part One of Riolaro, The Archipelago of Exiles by Godfrey Swevin. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Nula, Part One. After many difficulties and delays, I reached the garrison on the western shore of Brulee, where it faced chaos. I delivered my pass to the commandant, and was accommodated with shelter and food. Soldiers were not communicative, but after a few days I encountered in my wanderings on the beach one of the strangest men that I had ever seen, and he opened up vistas into the history of the islands. He was short in stature, but so light and springy was he in his gait and tread, I almost thought that he never touched the earth. He seemed to skim along its surface. He had a broad chest and great muscular development of the shoulders that singularly contrasted with his bird-like progress. His head was large for the body, but finely proportioned. It was the face, however, that most attracted me. It seemed almost to speak to me as I passed. It carried the soul in the depths of the eyes and in the whole expression. This soul, I felt after one glance, was a beautiful thing, marred only by some deep sorrow that draped it in everlasting melancholy there was a heaven of pity and regret doming the nature one could see in the sheen of the eyes and the strange translucence of the features i was drawn magnetically to this new type of manhood and yet i shrank from speech with him his nature seemed so majestic and overawing i asked in the garrison concerning him but all I could find out was that he was an exile from the city, and that he was kept under surveillance. It had been at his own request that he had been settled opposite the Isle of Anarchy. Finding that there would be nothing done to prevent my speaking to him, and that he knew Alifanian, I addressed him in reverent words the next time I met him, and we were soon fast friends. We met daily and wandered on the shore and both of us seemed to find unfailing consolation in the ever-varying music of the sea as it tided along the beach and answered to the moods of sky and wind and current like a sensitive instrument to me it had ever been a thing of life that sang and quivered to my every impulse and change of spirit to be away from it was to be forlorn and widowed and out of the reach of pity and sympathy to him it seemed to fill the same large space in life. His thoughts were stimulated and made sublime by its rhythm. His whole existence was fuller and more musical in that wider sense of the word which applies it to the movements of the worlds on the face of night. I soon discovered that he was the engineer who had centralized and mechanized their religion for the Bruleans, and set them on the way of fulfilling the object of their existence and of establishing universal peace by universally annihilative war he confessed that he had not been sorry to leave the capital and give up the petty ambitions with which he had been fired for a time it would have meant but little effort on his part to perfect his explosive and master the whole island for his own purposes but a look to the future had shown him how absurd the ideal the Bruleans pretended to hold up to themselves, how impossible it would be by any homeopathic means, such as they proposed, to cure humanity of its everlasting feuds. He fell into despair and let the new king do as he would, and now in his solitude and meditation the love of his older past had come back on him, and he longed to see his native land, his paradise again he had asked to be exiled to the garrison that watched chaos in order that the sight of that wretched community might keep his ambitions down there on the island opposite and he pointed across the strait lived the anarchic exiles from the islands of the archipelago as he uttered the word live he smiled wearily they lived but a few days after they were landed for they came to violent feud, and strife and bloodshed ended the tragedy of trying to exist without government before the animal was dead in man. He raised his eyes suddenly, and he pointed to the opposite shore. On it moved a human being. That was the survivor of the last shipment to chaos. 
the garrison never had any trouble within twenty-four hours after the anarchists were out of their fetters and free on shore they had found weapons against one another they divided up into conspiracies and fought and before many days were over two or three remained too maimed and wounded to fight when they recovered they fought for the mastery and one remained solely stricken often to die sometimes to recover only to become a maniac such was the state of the wretch whom we now saw gesticulating on the beach there never could be anarchism on this earth till the wild beast had died out of the human breast and man was ready for flight to purer spheres it was but poison in the existing state of mankind a little of it did not do much harm its best cure was to give it full scope for it soon killed off all existences within its reach and itself with them as he rose to this climax his transparent face began to cloud and grow turbid there was not that clearness of depth in the eyes which had so drawn me to him his nature seemed to become shallow and tempestuous more like the men of brulee and those i had known in the old western world but it was not for long he drew himself up with a sharp gesture of self-scorn and then there settled upon him a silence and a melancholy that resisted my efforts to overcome he grew quite unconscious of what i said and walking back towards his hut left me it was useless to attempt intercourse with such self-inwrapped thoughts for days i saw how purposeless would be all speech his figure was bowed his face was bent with grief his eyes were fixed on the earth i never witnessed such tearless sorrow in human form i preserved in my silent reverence for him and at last the cloud lifted he stood erect one day in the sunshine and on my approach he smiled answer to my greeting all the dark and troubled appearance of his face had vanished and his eyes and his complexion seemed to show the depths of his nature again with perfect limpidity i was soon in sympathetic converse with him there still rang through his utterances a note of sadness and regret it reminded me of the undertones of so many folk songs that wail with the reminiscence of lost ideals how wearily it sounded as it echoed through the depths of his meaning it was as if his words fell from the stars quivering with the emotion and thought of the spheres in their everlasting rhythm out of infinity to infinity their wisdom seemed to pass there was no limit to their depth of suggestion from his words there gradually developed the story of his life with reservations that i could by no questioning or interest penetrate many leaden-footed years ago brief in the tale of my own life long and slow taken by themselves i drifted on to the eastern shores of brulee and fell into the hands of nunaresha one of the most powerful and ambitious nobles in the country who was then endeavouring to get the ruling monarch dethroned and to have himself elected in his place he saw before many moons had fruited and died that he had in me a godsend for his designs oh the misery of it i listened to his flattering proposals and supplied him with the instruments to carry them out the thought came over him the words died away on his lips and his consciousness seemed to ebb into unknown depths of sorrow i kept a reverent silence and the thought of his broken story tided upwards again into words ah me the memory of my atavistic folly weighs my whole being down when it comes upon me out of my warlike forefathers of hundreds of generations before had come into my nature some taint of their military passions and ambitions for several hundreds of years it lay dormant the wise observers of my country had seen it in me from my birth and had surrounded me with such conditions as would keep it in abeyance if not deprive it of all living force unhappily the profession of chemist and engineer for which i was found on examination of all my faculties to be best fitted 
opened up to me a vista into the destructive forces that permeate the universe and the marvellous power over them that our own chemical knowledge gave this and my growing acquaintance with the myriads that inhabit the earth with the consequent scope for military ambition roused the sleeping devil in me i passed my time in the analysis of the destructive elements in nature in the manufacture of explosives and in devising plans for their concentration against an enemy although it was a fundamental maxim of our commonwealth that no member of it should ever harbour evil thought against the life of a fellow-being innumerable gentle and indirect methods were applied for my cure but it was all in vain my ancestral passion was roused like an unquenchable fire i could see the sorrow over me in the faces of the community at last without their ever having to come to formal resolve i was placed in a boat with my share of the wealth of the island in precious metals and blown far out to sea in the direction of brulee doubtless by the help of the forces of my countrymen have control of i drifted towards this island and came to be received by nunaresha he almost at once raised me to the position of trusted adviser he accepted every device i invented for his purposes and supplied me with the material i required i gave him such power over explosives that he felt himself almost invincible he subdued his quarrelsome baronial neighbours with the greatest ease and by the help of his explosive catapults made his friends throughout the island supreme over their districts his influence was soon predominant and the feeble intriguing monarch was deposed and nunrasha chosen in his stead he spared neither friend nor foe in order to attain to unquestioned despotism the baronial castles were demolished by the new force and all were drawn into his court by its attractions and its concentration of power the barons became the mere parasites and flatterers of the new king yet did he feel unhappy in that the ecclesiastics could still wage secret war against him in the hearts of the women and thus in every household at any moment the rebellion might break out and though he could crush it once it became open he never felt safe from the weapon of the assassin or fanatic i the still degenerate nulla came to his aid when he pleaded with me and i manufactured the spiritual mechanism of the country for him to control as he pleased he banished the priests and substituted an automatic priesthood and service such as might be completed at his beck it was an easy matter for me to invent the various machines musical ceremonial marionetic and locatory i saw that some such spiritual control over men was needed if universal peace were to be attained on the earth i still believed that peace was the true aim of human civilization and that this could be reached only by such warlike forces and such spiritual authority in the hands of a single governor or council of governors as would make rebellion seem an impossibility and a farce to every reasoning mind i have been utterly disabused of all such thoughts such peace can mean nothing but universal stagnancy of mankind there is no advance no life without struggle and competition i could have invented after years of work such a weapon of war as would have enabled a man to master the world and keep it cowering in fear i could have extended my mechanical religion so as to control the thoughts and beliefs of all men but what was the advantage if a ruler grew worse it was only to connect all the spiritual fountains of the earth with this tainted source and thus to keep them for ever impure i saw his unbounded power gradually sap the will and the morality of the monarch he sank into dissipation and debauchery he made the whole of brulean art and religion and morality coarse and vulgar the women grew more pampered and fat and licentious the men became hypocrites and laggards in the court there was nothing but display vulgar accretions of gaudy uniforms and of jewels of all kinds 
in the country there was increasing degradation and misery it was patent to the eyes of those who were not blinded by the possession of power or the shadow of power the only thing that saved the nation from collapse was its frequent war expeditions they hated the water passage to other islands but they delighted in the excitement of conflict and they came back fewer in numbers slimmer in figure and more active in habit you might have expected the women to preponderate in the population because of the war drain on the men but perhaps you have noticed that amongst the children and youth it is our own sex that has the best of it in numbers whilst fat old women are seen everywhere old men are seldom seen a warlike community ever recuperates by means of its physiological fact that where only young and vigorous soldiers are the fathers competing for the love of the younger women who are few and somewhat pampered there is a predominance of male births it is this prevention of old age amongst men by the sharp sickle of war along with the seclusion and delicacy of the women that keeps the community from complete effeminacy and ultimate extinction brulee is the exile asylum of all the passion for militarism in the archipelago and the interseen wars of the exiles reduce their numbers and yet keep them active their hatred of the sea saves the other islands from conquests by them their great heroic age was the reign of a woman who had been expelled from my own land for her warlike passions she overcame their nausea for oceanic expeditions by training most of the boys like a coast population to take delight in boats and ships and it was only the jealousy of the other women that prevented brulee from mastering the whole of the archipelago she ever fostered her desire to revenge on her original country and at last led an army of vengeance against it but she was again and again repulsed with ease in the disfavour of defeat the brulean women accused her of witchcraft in drawing away the affections of the young men from them and had her put to death degenerate though i have grown i never nurtured one thought of retaliation for my exile and even had i i should never have been so foolish as to imagine that i could have carried it out she must have been mad or drunk with passion to attempt such a thing when she died brulee sank back into the even tenor of quarrel and civil war alas that i should have been the means of stirring it again to warlike ambition for mastery it was my mistaken ideal of universal peace by means of universal and omnipotent authority i have come to the conclusion that all government is but giving the monopoly of opportunity to one set of robbers in order to save the nation from the ravages of most others it is worse for the higher natures of the governing than for those of the governed and i have recanted my heresies how weary i grew of the pomp and show of the court of the dreary sound of war and dissipation i would have given the world for exile into solitude and yet i dared not secede from the monarch and his following i had shown myself too resourceful to be allowed to go free in the island the king never would have believed that i was at rest and only desirous of rest but the inevitable conclusion came lapped in the luxurious security of unquestioned power he grew careless thinking that every mind in the island was turned to his key hatred to him had grown silently in the hearts of many at the most unexpected place and moment it blazed out and he fell by the hand of an assassin he had meant to establish a dynasty but his children all fell with him and the nobility elected his successor from amongst themselves one of the mildest and most characterless i saw that this was my opportunity and i pleaded with him that i might be sent into exile and solitude and in order to make him feel sure that i would not be plotting against him i asked that i should be near the garrison that watches the island of anarchists here i have rested these many years working out my spiritual purification in sorrow and regret 
i have climbed higher in soul than i had ever thought to reach and yet clouds of anger at times float across my nature and mar my power of vision i am not worthy to return to my own land ah that i were and what hope is there of any such return for me the outcast the degenerate he fell again into self-enwrapped reverie his thoughts had gone back to that land of mystery whence he had come and vain was it for me to attempt to follow them i must wait and i thought i saw my way to bring about my purpose one day we had grown intimate in our conversation and he had become familiar enough to ask me whence i came i told him how i had crossed the circle of fog with my yacht and he asked me how i had resisted the magnetic forces and sea currents that so effectually fence in this subtropical archipelago i described the daydream at first he could not realize that she could move swiftly without the help of wind or current or oar but when the thought of steam power propelling her came on his mind it took full possession of it he made sure that i could force her right in the teeth of a storm and then his face was illumined with joy and hope the next day he was all eagerness to know the construction of her engines and her mode of propulsion and having satisfied himself that she had ten times the power of the largest falla driven by oars he surrendered his inner thoughts to me he now saw a way by which he might return to his dear native land and he described to me the singular means his countrymen employed for hedging off intrusion and expelling members of their community that are alien to its main purpose round the shoulders of their central peak lila roma runs on an enormous scaffolding what they call the storm cone it is a huge trumpet-shaped instrument with its wide end turned on the horizon and out of it is blown from the centre of force in the island a blast that when concentrated on any point has the power of a tornado nothing propelled by oars or sails has hitherto been able to resist the artificial hurricane by night it moves slowly around the horizon and if its blast encounters any object floating on the surface of the ocean however small it brings all its force to bear on it till the resistant material flees before it it produces a local tempest and the intruder either sinks or escapes before the blast there is no record in the archipelago of any falla or human being having ever reached the shore of limanora by sea and though the long tradition of this tornado barrier to all has ended in a more complete because a spiritual barrier that all superstitions fear the storm cone never ceases its vigilant blast i saw the source of his hope and told him of our encounter with the storm cone and the result fearing that he did not understand all the conditions but after ascertaining that we had sail set and that the tornado caught us broadside his face bore a smile that implied complete mastery of the problem he showed me that if the sails had been down and the bow had been pointed right to the storm cone the ship could have easily held her own against the blast but that we might not be too sure of the result and might not introduce a whole shipload of intruders into the island he would invent a method by which we two alone should reach its shore it was this he intended to make two wooden water-tight shells in the shape of a fish with sharp snout and directing tail into these as we got close to the shelving beach we two would enter the lids would be sealed so as to let no water in and then the sailors of the daydream would shoot them from two huge catapults of his so that they would plunge into the sea and speeding through the water would rise to the surface and float into the shallows close to the sand i could see the feasibility of the plan and entered gladly into it for at last i perceived a chance of reaching his mysterious fatherland as he had agreed to take me for his comrade he began to teach me his native language he told me that he could not give me more than the rudiments and framework the niceties of it and the great vocabulary come only in long years of familiarity 
it was constructed on the principle of assigning the easiest words to the commonest and easiest things and ideas it grew in difficulty and perplexity in the higher spheres of thought and investigation the names for the familiar objects and needs of human beings were monosyllabic and each expressed some essential or striking quality or feature of the thing either by means of the nature of the sound or by resemblance to some other but abstract word the verb or as he called it the energy word and the adjective or quality word were generally dissyllabic the former by means of the affixing the other by means of the prefixing of one of many different sounds or letters half of each of these sets of extension elements were vowels the other half consonants they were phonetic alternatives the consonantal was meant as neighbor to a vowel sound and the vowel as neighbor to a consonantal for example car meant dust caro meant to reduce dust okar having the essential qualities of dust tri meant seawater trim to use seawater atri salt and liquid like seawater trick to plunge into seawater etri dipped in seawater there was no difference in form between the adjective and the adverb and there were only two kinds of relational words or words that showed the connection between ideas or things or energies or qualities that we brought into relation our prepositions and conjunctions would be included under the one type the same particle or kinword might be used to express the affinity between two of the simplest words for concrete objects and two such complex ideas are given in sentences the other kind of relational word was what they called their pointer and seemed to stand for our pronoun it pointed out some object or idea already mentioned or to be mentioned in order to show its relation to other objects or ideas or pointed out the relation of the energy word or of the quality or of the object to some personality these kin words or pointers consisted each of two letters there were some hundreds of them and their number was ever growing as new relationships grew out of a more complex civilization or out of advancing investigation and discovery there were no separate words of one letter all the letters being monopolized by the prefixes or affixes the subtones or slight variations of the common sounds were utilized to express various shades of meaning as for example time was expressed in the verb by a modification of the sound of the affix whether consonantal or vocalic locaro tirac meant i reduce this rock to dust locaro tirac i shall reduce this rock to dust locaru tirac i reduce this rock to dust accent on the affix was used to express stage of action beginning in process or complete or rather lack of accent expressed the second sharp accent the first and full accent the last pitch was employed to express attitude of mind to the action the higher tones giving various shades of determination or order the lower various kinds of uncertainty or question and the full ordinary tones of expressing the different phrases of assertion or surety transferred or metaphorical meaning was indicated by the use of a variation in the vowel sound of the noun care with long broad vowel is dust car with short vowel implies the sporadic ideas that float in a civilization or community or period or mind and all the various grammatical and sense modifications of the original concrete noun were applicable to the new noun with the transferred sense the grammatical framework of the language was so simple that i mastered it in a few days a few more days sufficed to get familiar with what they called the infant's vocabulary all the concrete words for common things like earth rock sea sky food arm hand head light fire smoke cloud 
what made this easier was that words for things that had a close resemblance or connections in action had the same consonantal sound but different vowels or the same vowel and one consonantal variation foresight was loom for energy was limb room was gravitation rim force lull smoke lil cloud when i passed to the youth's vocabulary of less concrete words or words with metaphorical applications it was more difficult partly because the vocabulary was larger partly because the differences were subtler but i was greatly aided by the universal and primary law of their tongue that the same sound should not stand for more than one meaning or shade of meaning whenever a word tended to acquire a new sense a new modification of the form was deliberately invented and adopted thus there were none of the ambiguities and shifting senses that make all other languages and especially the european like a quagmire or quicksand one of the more important annual functions of the community as a whole was language sanitation it is one of the greatest mistakes of european civilization to let words take their own course the most dangerous source of spiritual epidemics in them lurk foul thoughts and suggestions that spread their moral contagion as soon as the child comes into contact with their inner meanings nothing is so pernicious so obstructive of progress as the virus of uncleansed words they let out on new ages moral diseases that have been forgotten in them contagious germs adhere to the nooks and corners for generations as in old houses even the fallacies that cling to the human mind from the many and shifting senses of words are bad enough but worse is the opportunity they give for villains to palter with them nothing is easier than in our old civilizations to betray the innocent language with its chameleon nature can fit itself to every atmosphere and light it gives the readiest shelter to dishonesty and error unpurified undefined it is the quaking bog in which half the souls that are born into the world are irrecoverably lost ages ago his countrymen had taken their language in hand and swept out of it all foul suggestion now their chief task was to prevent ambiguities and double or shifting meanings from creeping into words and making them the cloaks of dishonest purpose the stumbling blocks of the still feeble human soul there were linguistic specialists whose duties were to watch the use of words by the community and note down those that were changing their signification they had also to invent new words to fit the new meanings and to lay the results of their investigations before the meeting of the whole nation whatever were anonymously adopted became at once a part of the language and for those that were rejected the experts had to bring forward other suggestions the result was that their language was as limpid as their own thoughts and it was kept musical too after the linguists had made out lists of suggested substitutes they submitted them to the imaginative men and the musicians through this ordeal and that of the meeting of the people none but noble words could pass and for words that had to cover new ideas in some department of science or art the linguists had to consult with the scientists or artists this people thought no trouble lost that was spent on ennobling the garment of thought and the master element of music and imaginative work all is false if words are uncertain language is the ether of thought it interpenetrates all existence were two of their favorite maxims another was often on the lips of nula was take care of the words and the thoughts will take care of themselves it was little wonder then that i found it easy to master the primary stages of this most translucent language the stage of full manhood and the stage of the wise i could see from a few illustrations he gave me had difficulties and subtleties that could be mastered only by long acquaintance and it was not till i had many years in limanora that i came to understand them for though the vocabularies were constructed on the most symmetrical and clear plan 
they had as many words as all the languages of europe put together most of them stood for ideas or elements that were beyond european thought or discovery or for ideas that were many of them faggoted together under a single word in our western languages no idea no shade of an idea was without its own word half the false starts of european civilization or science or philosophy were due to misunderstandings caused by the number of meanings that attached to single words european controversies and discussions are interminable owing to this fertile source of fallacy and shifting ground i was not surprised at the small progress made by both old and modern civilizations after i saw the trouble the limanorians took to purify and define their words and the ease with which one could master the most difficult thought expressed in their limpid language as i tell you my story now in your own and my native tongue i feel as if i wandered in a dream through a land of mists that are ever shifting and deceiving i have often to abandon the attempt to explain to you the noblest of the limanoran ideas at other times i have to translate clear expressions into muddy uncertain words or resort to makeshifts that i fear give you but little notion of the originals as i talk with you in your english tongue i seem to be moving amid illusions and phantoms how unmelodious it all sounds a language like the limanoran need no poets it was poetry itself so musical was every word and every combination of words so bright and strong so suggestive and harmonious every idea that needed expression in it when an englishman is able to choose the musical words of his language and put them together with rhythmic harmony expressive of the inner harmony of the ideas he is canonized as a linguistic saint a poet the limanorans were poets by virtue of their language and their nature and training and it is like passing into the most commonplace of prose to express even their commonest words and ideas in the most poetical english little though nula taught me i was enamoured of it and could scarcely keep from crooning the words to myself like the lid of an old song and every sentence seemed to be as melodious as the separate words i tried to form discordant combinations but on presenting them to my tutor i found that they bore no sense they were impossible combinations of ideas especially was the harmony of sound predominant in the higher stages of the language the most commonest description of even the most difficult scientific investigation sounded like a noble blank verse poem to speak in english again much though it comes back out of my oldest past is to walk in fetters before nula was satisfied that i could make myself understood in limanoran and just as he had perfected his plan for our projection into the beach waters of his native land we had aroused suspicion in the garrison by our long colloquies they watched our every movement nor did i ally their fears by my assurance that we were about to attempt a landing on chaos by sea we were seized and sent to the capital to be dealt with by the king and his council long debate and threatening civil war delayed the decision but i am certain that the result would have been condemnation to death in the end for the whole country was honeycombed with suspicions and fears of plots and executions of suspects occurred every day but the unexpected rescued us we lay in our prison cells weary half expectant half wishing more delay our food was thrust into us day after day through a small aperture in the iron doors of our pitiless stone-walled dungeons at first we heard through the narrow ironed rail slit that served as a window the hurry and bustle of the city like the sound of a distant torrent one day it seemed to grow less and less and at last it ceased the silence was oppressive and ominous next morning the wicked aperture in our door did not open all day we were without food we wondered what had occurred four days through twilight into our cells and not a sound of a human voice approached us 
i felt my hunger pass from the gnawing stage into languor and collapse i sank on my reed pallet unable longer to pace my floor i swooned rather than slept when twilight thickened into gloom i knew that a few days at most must end the alternations of collapse and consciousness i dreamt that i was back in the old fishing village in my mother's hut on the cliff and her voice sounded sweet in my ears as she welcomed me home at night i thought that i fell asleep in it and that the morning had come i remembered that my comrades were to call me and that we were to start early on a long fishing excursion i moved uneasily half conscious that i ought to rise and see if the dawn had broken and then it seemed to me that the hum of voices sounded in the distance it is my friends i said a loud rattle and clang i thought it must be their volley of stones on the roof and windows to waken me then i heard their scotch accents beside me i must awaken with an effort i rose and jumped from my bed the cold of the prison floor brought me to consciousness there beside me was my captain alec burns with some of his men i sank back on my pallet in a swoon after a sign of recognition they applied restoratives and in half an hour though faint and weak i was able to totter out on the arms of two of my sailors into the passage and thence into the sunshine under an awning i lay panting back into life and nursing and liquid sustenance gave me appetite and made me strong enough to walk alone i asked burns for an explanation of all that had occurred the royal officers were about to seize the daydream he discovered and he was intending to put out to sea in the night he had got up steam and was about to heave the anchors but he found that she had grounded as it was low tide as her screw moved the water gave forth an unbearable stench he stopped her and the fetid odor disappeared in the morning he looked out to the city and saw the streets and the ramparts completely deserted not a bean moved anywhere all day the same death-like stillness prevailed no boat moved in the harbor no soldier appeared on the battlements not a sound of marching or of military music was heard it might have been a city of the dead the following day opened with the same experience they pulled on shore and the streets echoed empty to their step as they walked up from the beach they knocked at doors but received no answer they entered houses and passed through them unmolested unchallenged at last the explanation forced itself upon their senses in one house they could not proceed for fetter that met them at their entrance and in that next lane they saw dead bodies strewn as if cast from windows in some places heaped high above the earth it was a city of the unburied dead and no living creature was to be seen to bury them the next day on landing again they encountered some of the slaves who were plundering the houses and who fled as the sailors approached they followed one up and saw him enter the huge building which they found to be the prison they saw him take the keys and open the various cells and out poured his imprisoned fellows they heard from one prisoner of my incarceration and then discovered my dungeon and led me out into the sunshine as burns came to this point in his narrative i remembered my fellow prisoner nula and i hurried them off to look for him they returned with him none the worse for his long fast he did not complain of hunger he had i could see a fund of sustenance to draw upon unusual in the human bodies i had been accustomed to we persuaded him to try some of our restorers but he took them with none of the eager appetite that i had shown it was manifest that he had a physical constitution altogether different from ours he asked us how it was that burns had been allowed to set us free he listened with equanimity to the explanation but when he heard of the slaves he started in alarm and bade us hurry to our ship it was not long before we were on board 
and as it was full tide the daydream was now able to get from her anchorage and make out into the open sea when he saw us safe out of the harbour he settled down and told me the meaning of his sudden fear and advice these slaves inhabit the interior of the island in myriads and under the whips of their overseers do all the work that this military community needs they are so shamefully treated that if ever the bonds break and they rise in rebellion they show no mercy and make no distinction in their fury the opening of the prison doors meant that the slave population was about to revel in crime and bloodshed they will crowd down uncontrolled from all parts of the country and fill the city with a raging plundering mob had we remained till they were in force we should have had no chance of escape we should have perished in the general hate of all but their own kin you ask me why so powerful and so military a people should ever permit such an outbreak it is because they are cowed by a greater fear that of the plague you have perceived how low the tide has been and how hot the sun the mud upon the shore of the harbours when it is laid bare by the waters and exposed to an exceptionally hot summer breeds a plague that sweeps through the ranks of the bruleans there is no means known of stopping its ravages no cure for it once seized by it no man can last more than one day and once dead the body putrefies and spreads the contagion far and near all the citizens flee to the heights to be out of reach of the pestilence there and there alone can they have any chance of survival and then only if no one bears with him the seeds of the terrible disease it is piteous to see the cowardly stampede of these bold warriors the slaves know the meaning of the flight it is their carnival they are untouched by the plague they can move with impunity amongst the rotting dead bodies or the putrid mud it is a strange example of the revenge that a law of nature takes upon those who outrage it long ages ago the war-loving exiles who were landed upon brulee subdued its gentle inhabitants but so wore them down by driving them as slaves that they almost died out their place had to be supplied for the masters had become accustomed to freedom from manual and sordid employments and nothing could persuade them to give up their weapons and swaggering military employments and put their hand to the plough or the hatchet they had to send emissaries out in all directions to steal borrow or buy slaves peaceful and often highly civilized islanders were kidnapped and battened down in the holds of the fallas in order that they might not resort to mutiny or attempts at escape in these foul dens oft-times men and women who had been accustomed to the delicacies of civilization were penned and they suffered the horrors of an unclean putrid dungeon and of a rough sea passage by the close of the voyage half the captives had to be thrown overboard dead or next door to death those that survived were proof against the diseases that originated in such nests of contagion when the shipload had been disembarked the filth of the voyage was washed into the harbour and the germs of a new plague took up their abode in the mud at the bottom dormant for long years and then when the favouring conditions came a hot summer and a series of low tides rising into the air and filling the neighbourhood of the shore it is one of these plagues that has emptied the city the strange thing about this brulean fever is that its symptoms and horrible effects are those that the slaves experienced in the loathsome sea passage the fever smitten feel a sinking of the heart as in homesickness this alternates with wild fury against wrongs that are in their case purely imaginary they think that they are in darkness and filth and chains unable to escape in utter despair of life they cherish a madness for liberty which wears out their bodies and brings such exhaustion that they sink rapidly their faces and bodies grow red as with rage then pale as with seasickness then yellow with loathing they come to nauseate living 
and would gladly put an end to their tortures by suicide yet their hearts again beat wildly as if clutching at life before the passion has collapsed and their energy has sunk they become putrid in their limbs till they shudder at the sight of their hands and feet the microscopic life that sprang into being in the holes of the slaving fallas and that festers in the mud of the foreshores having drawn all the sufferings and feelings of the captives into it communicates them to the people that wronged them the survivors of the enslaved and their descendants are forever inoculated against it at every outbreak of the epidemic the slaves escape and hold high festival in the city all the fiercer and more degraded in their orgies from the state in which they and their ancestry have been kept in their drunken carousals they come to blows though many escape back to their native land when the summer has passed some of the soldiers venture into the suburbs and with threatening missiles force those that have remained alive to bury the dead and to cleanse the city and prepare it for their masters all settles back into its old state new slave raids are organized to fill the places of those that have vanished new horrors take place and new germs are deposited in the mud there was the light of pity in the eyes of the narrator i could hear his voice quiver and sound plaintive although he gave but the barest outline of the history he was filled with the vision i thought of the vanity of human life and its pursuits i could see from some words that fell from him soon after that memory had brought up to him the dyke chimeras that had led him from his native paradise he saw the bootlessness of war and the awful vengeance it works out upon the combatants he realized the monstrous nature of tyranny and its recoil upon the tyrants he felt how illusory how mocking was the human ideal of luxurious ease the faults that had banished him from limanora had been burned out of him by caustic experience his nature had grown purified by that long solitude which had brought wisdom again he hoped the evil in him had long been subdued but would his native land take him back he despaired he knew of no precedent all who had been exiled had finally vanished he hoped for he felt how drastic his purification had been how bitter his repentance yet the rapid advance of their thought and civilization threw him back again into fear he felt like a man put on shore at the head of a rapid and having to find his way on land and through jungle after the boat as he saw it speed down the torrent i tried to draw him from the harassing turmoil of his emotions and thoughts by questions on the meaning of phrases that he had used to me he had often spoken of the practice of banishment for moral or constitutional weaknesses would he explain to me its character and extent i showed great anxiety to know how it worked End of chapter thirty seven part one